You're listening to The Conservative Conscience. In Washington, politicians are full of half-truths and hot air. The Conservative Conscience is here to help you cut through the rhetoric and noise and explore the politically right way to think about the issues. You'll dive into one of the most insightful conservative minds in America, Conservative Review Senior Editor Daniel Horowitz. Using pure common sense and ignoring the groupthink, Daniel breaks down the major issues in Washington. You are now entering the conservative conscience. You got that right. No group think here at the conservative conscience. And welcome back. This is indeed your host, Daniel Hurwitz, here at CRTV's Northern Command on April 16th. And welcome to many of our new listeners that discovered us last night through Mark Levin's Fox News show. Terrific new show, Life, Liberty, and Levin. It was really an honor to be on for the full hour together with campus activist Charlie Kirk, a really brilliant young conservative. I was so thrilled to meet him and everyone, and just all your responses have been very heartwarming. As you guys well know, I don't do TV too much. I stay like a nerd in my bunker and just work and work and work with you know, members of Congress, outside of Congress, working on policies, working on exposing the truth of what matters on the discernible policy outcomes for America. It was kind of poetic justice that the interview we did last night took place at the same time as the James Comey teenage girl uh, uh, emoting interview. Basically, just a rehash of his life story and all of his grievances. And of course, you know, everyone in the political world is focused on that. And it's all going to be about Comey, Comey, Russia, Russia, Mueller, Mueller until until really the November elections. Yet nobody is focusing on what actually matters for those elections, what matters at all in terms of policy. So for those of you who are new tuning into the conservative conscience here, and have discovered this show. Maybe you checked out my book. I know the book sales have been skyrocketing since last night. Um, Stolen Sovereignty, How to Stop Unelected Judges from Transforming America. This notion that we're no longer a self-governing nation. That basically all of the policies that the people never voted on are on autopilot and Congress is impotent. And usually we try to take a show and delve into one or two issues deeply that are in the news, or that should be in the news, but aren't in the news. Stuff going on in Congress, stuff going on in the courts. And we give you both a historical background, the legal background, but then also the specifics of what's going on now, and what we should be doing, and why we could do better. So if you like this long-form discussion last night, this is very much what we're about here at the Conservative Review and at the Conservative Conscience here on the Westwood One Podcast Network. You know, I have this debate with my buddy, my colleague here, Steve Dace, all the time, whether people would actually take steak if you put it on their plate. Is it that they just get high on the sugar because candy is all we offer? These 90-second sound bites on cable news and everyone fighting over nonsense? Or... If you actually gave them something different, would they tune in? And look, so far, Levin's show has done pretty well. As many of you saw, you know, this is something very different where he'll sit down with a guest and have a very long, deep discussion about a variety of issues. And it's amazing. I mean, even a full hour of, of cable net, network time, which is something I'll probably never get in my life, 
it seemed to go by too fast. And that's why I wanted to start off today by elaborating on some of the points I made, particularly what I meant by this vision forward with citizens' task forces. If you remember last night, I spoke about a solution. Mark Levin asked, what is the solution? That nobody is listening to our voices Neither party represents conservative values, and I would argue the term conservative has become bastardized even though it's the title of this show. Even if you don't consider yourself a conservative, our voice is not being heard. Our voice is not being heard on foreign policy, on border policy, certainly on an array of economic issues. Why is it that our voice is not heard, and what can we do about it? Well, let's elect a couple more people in uh and primaries. I could write a book on that. I've been involved in recruiting people. It doesn't work. So you get 2.5 good guys per cycle in a body of 435 members. And then even then, you know, half of them turn south on you within six months because they get overwhelmed. There's no counter narrative to what's going on there. And they get into the narrative that's being placed before them. So what do we do about that? That's what I wanted to touch on in today's show. But just first, real briefly, I'm going to link to in show notes if, if some of you have not heard it or if you know I feel bad for you if you wound up spending the 10 o'clock hour last night listening to James Comey, you might want to hear this interview. And feel free to email me, by the way, dhorowitz at crtv.com. Message me at rmconservative. I do have a Facebook account, but I barely ever use it. I hate Facebook. Not just because of Zuckerberg, but I just, I don't know, the, the, the interface just doesn't speak to me. It just doesn't, I guess I'm just old-fashioned in that sense. But I'm all over Twitter every day. You could see a lot of the things I don't have time to address in my daily articles or the podcasts here. I'll often address in short form on Twitter. But you know, this is primarily a long-form format. Uh, for those of you who are new, I'm not always blabbering alone. Sometimes I do have important guests. Like, for example, last show and the last week, we had Brandon Judd, the head of the Border Patrol Union, give us a glimpse of what it means to be a border agent, what he actually does, and how government hampers his job. And what we try to do here, both at the Conservative Conscience on Westwood, and at CRTV, Conservative Review, all the platforms that I'm, I'm blessed to be on, is to be that person to give voice to citizens' concerns from a constitutional conservative perspective. But really, I would argue from a prudential common sense vantage point as well, that hopefully, even if you're tuning in and you're, you don't consider yourself traditionally a conservative, you could appreciate as well. Like, what is going wrong on health care? Not just from Obamacare, but even before that. Who caused it? How government caused it? And what we can do about it? Why the three, three branches of government no longer work the way they were supposed to? Why the judiciary is sacking power and what we can do about it? As well as specific issues that come up every day. And you know, obviously this week I want to make sure I get to later on, either through my columns or – maybe in some later shows, what's going on in Syria, but not just Syria in a vacuum, but the Middle East. And I know I mentioned this real briefly last night. We had a pretty good debate, and you know, Levin was willing to kind of mix it up a little bit and debate with me over the airstrikes in Syria. But as I noted, it's not about an airstrike. We have ground troops there. 
What are we doing? What are we doing fighting with the Bloods and the Crips? For those of you who haven't heard it, I mentioned the Bloods and the Crips last night as my response to Mark Levin on you know what, what we're doing in the Middle East. I did a show. This is two shows ago. So this should be episode 211 if you want to check it out where we speak for an hour about a vision in the Middle East. And again, it's all because it's not anchored back to the people. We're no longer self-governing. The people's representatives don't have a say. And much like interventions in healthcare, in education, in energy, we basically have the civilian and military leadership just get us involved in these theaters that contradict each other. We fight one battle that undermines another and then get involved in that to solve that problem, kind of like the domestic policy cycle of government. And no one ever steps back and says, wait a minute, why don't we have a congressional debate and a cost-benefit analysis and a risk versus return strategic analysis of what we are doing? I'm not an isolationist. I think there are things we should be stronger in. But there's a lot of things we're wasting our time with and that drains our resolve, our resources, and our attention towards what we actually can accomplish and should accomplish vis-a-vis North Korea, Iran, and really, as we've been talking about of late, Mexico, not just from an immigration perspective, but from a foreign policy perspective of how it's killing us with the drug crisis. And yet we're marred in these Sunni-Shia civil wars. So we're going to touch on that. Later this week, we're going to touch on the internet sales tax. You know, we have tax day coming up. I guess it's delayed because of Emancipation Day. I never heard of delaying it for that. But, um, you know, it's going to be the 17th of April on Tuesday instead. And, you know, first of all, it's funny that a lot of people in this country, tax day is a, a payday. I mean, it's, it's tremendous. We actually have an article out pretty recently, I'm trying to think when I put it out brand new CBO data on who actually pays and who doesn't, who gets transfer payments and who doesn't. And the numbers are really, really stark. I mean, unbelievable. And, you know, for those who do wind up paying, a lot of us don't even realize how much we actually do pay because it's all subtle. It's all subtle. Through withholdings. We don't actually write a check. See, if everyone had to write a check on tax day, then it would be quite evident who pays and who doesn't. Oh, I'm actually getting money. Oh, no, I'm actually paying even more than I thought. Versus now, what withholdings basically does is it obfuscates to those who don't pay, they think they do pay, and those who do pay don't realize how much they pay. And then obviously a lot of government has grown on the backs of debt. No longer tax revenue anymore. So, you know, that's a whole separate issue. But, you know, one of the ways that people don't realize how much they pay is all your state and local taxes as well. And one of the things is a sales tax. Now, why in the world both parties would want to get together and the and President Trump backs this to start creating the state merging cartel of states to collect sales tax from consumers across state lines. Talk about subtlety where you don't realize it. Taxation is supposed to be as direct as possible. You write a check, period. And then I could directly punish and hold accountable those 
who abuse it, raise too much of it, or spend it on things they shouldn't spend it on. The internet sales tax cross state lines is the perfect way to have each state collect taxes for another, and it's unaccountable. For the very reason why these schlepper states that are, oh, we need more revenue. I hear conservatives even tagging me on social media with this. Really? Since when as conservatives did we think we need more revenue? You really love what your state governments are doing with the money so much you want to give them more? And look, we have a whole show on this, you know, because again, to those that are new listeners, we always think of innovative ideas. We had my buddy Tom Ryan of Americans for Federalism uh, to discuss his neutral tax, the idea of flipping the feds in the states, having the states take the lead, devolving all taxation, all direct taxation, federal um, income, corporate capital gains, estate taxes, all to the states. They take the revenue. They decide on a local level. We debate what form of taxation, how progressive, if at all, what, what you know, how much of it's going to be sales, how much of it is going to be income. And then the feds come at the back end with a flat tax on the revenue and done. They just get the revenue they need to function for the federal government, but the states actually control the system. So if, if you're one of those who all you, – you badly think the states need money, that's the way to do it. So anyway, the Supreme Court is going to hear oral arguments in the South Dakota case tomorrow. And I don't know – again, I don't have time to get into this because I want to get to the main point of the show. But you should just know nothing has changed since the case – 25 years ago, that this is one of the few proper applications of the Commerce Clause, that you cannot have one state tax across state lines, the consumers of another state, without the permission of Congress. So nothing has changed just because, oh, well, Daniel, everyone used the internet now. No one could have envisioned that. Okay, so what? But the, the point is still true that it's unaccountable. The fact that it's used more doesn't, oh, but we're losing all this revenue. So what? I mean, you're gaining it because the economy is growing from the internet. The answer is never to raise more taxes. The internet is doing fine. You know, you have shipping costs online. You have sales tax, brick and mortar. And and I'm sick of this polarizing fight between brick and mortar and online. It's not like a special interest, green energy versus fossil fuel energy. Most, it's a means of, of um, selling things. It's not an industry. The internet is not an industry. It's a platform. Almost everyone now has brick and mortar and online. You know, most brick and mortar stores have an online component. You know, And the truth is, most of the small businesses now aren't even brick and mortar. They're going to be the online store, so it's really going to hurt them. It's taxation without representation, but it's also regulation without representation. Because now you're going to have to account for 10,000 unique sales tax jurisdictions. So the same A, chaos, and B, unaccountability that was behind the original Supreme Court case and the rationale for not taxing across state lines without permission from Congress still applies today. So legally, it shouldn't change from a court perspective. And politically, I would argue Congress does have the power to authorize it. You know, that's the question, whether the states could do it without Congress. They do have the power to, but I'd argue against it. So, but meanwhile, half the Republicans and President Trump are joining the Democrats and pushing that. Lovely. But I think this is a great segue to what I wanted to talk about today. 
citizens' task forces, grassroots policymaking, and a shadow government. What is the answer? And again, this is not a silver bullet. I don't have silver bullets. But I'm always looking to explore better solutions. What could we do to have our voices heard? And I think it's a good segue because, again, the internet sales tax is the exact opposite direction you want to go towards. Having a cartel of unaccountable states collecting taxes for each other where the voters of each respective state can't strike out against those raising those taxes. We need to empower the citizenry. So I want to explain what I meant last night on Mark Levin's show by Citizens Task Forces. And by the way, before I forget, I just want to give a hearty shout out to my producer, Joe Armacost. He's the guy here in my local radio station, WCBM Baltimore, who takes care of just all the sound stuff. He, he runs the show there. And he set me up with a brand new microphone in an awesome position. I used to keep hitting it, and the cord would get tangled in the middle of the show. And you know, sometimes it would sound like I'm in, in a cave, and then I come out of the cave. So hopefully, we won't have those issues anymore. So, uh, you know, behind every good host is a great produ- producer. So thanks, Joe. Anyway, um, you know, p- p- part of part of this is really an amalgamation of many different things that I'm coming coming across, a lot of different things I'm experiencing in my line of work, the issues I'm fighting, and I'm starting to starting to come up with a lot of observations that are helping me hone in on some of these ideas. So, you know, again, Levin was asking, what do we do? What do we do? And, you know, those of you who have listened to this show for long enough are well aware of, you know, my understanding that I, I just I don't feel we're going to take over the party by winning primaries. I've been working on that for several cycles. And and by the way, we still have our Meet the Candidate series where I try to give a platform to those candidates that are doing it. God bless those who want to do it, like Jaron Jackson and Chip Roy, other people we've had on um, who, who are good guys that are definitely going to try to be um, you know, game changers and, and hopefully spearhead some of these ideas that we're going to talk about. And I certainly want to give them that platform, but I'm just saying if you're waiting for Congress to to change things or to change it from within, it's not going to happen. This is what I meant on the show last night. It's going to have to change from without, from the outside. So, you know, I mentioned the Convention of the States, and I'm close with a lot of the Convention of the States grassroots activists, but, you know, the question has long been, all right, well, what do you do until you get 33 states and then 38 states? It's going to take a long time. What do we do now? We need a narrative now. You know, Republicans are going to get crushed in this election, and conservatives might go down. The few conservative Republicans there are might go down with them for nothing, for liberal ideas. We need a new, new ideas now. So I've talked a lot about my contract with America idea. I mentioned it last night as well. Consumer and taxpayer bill of rights for the forgotten American, with newly expressed principles rooted in timeless ideas along with very specific proposals to back up those broadly written principles. And we've, we've given some ideas so far. In the blueprint that I've written about, and we, we'll link to in show notes that I started off with, I, me- I started mentioning this idea of citizens' task forces and a shadow government, grassroots policymaking. And I want to explain today in longer form what exactly I mean by by citizens' task forces. When Mark Levin said, all right, Daniel, I mean, that's going to take a while. I'm all for the Convention of States. I wrote a book on it. But, you know, 
what do we do until then? And, you know, obviously we didn't have enough time to get into it, but I mentioned citizens task forces. Here, here's why I thought of the idea. And um, I don't want to be too self-ingratiating here. I normally rarely talk about myself. I don't like talking about myself. I like talking about the issues. But today I'm going to talk about myself in a, in a, in a vacuum and then spread out to this broader task force issue why I'm thinking of it because it's from my own experience. I've been blessed by God with some great colleagues, great organization that pretty much allows me to wake up every day and take a look at the landscape of hundreds of issues and see what is important, what do we need to focus on, what's not getting out, you know, what do we need to work on and you know, it's not just the platforms that we use to disseminate, but also what I do is you well know privately to work with some of the good members of Congress, some people on the outside to just help push things, push hearings, push legislation, push awareness to certain issues. Um, you know, like Brandon Judd, the ICE, the not ICE union, the Border Patrol Union guy we had on last week, uh, you know, thanked us for trying to raise awareness to certain things going on. And I try to have people like that on. But, you know, the bottom line is I'm one person. I'm one individual. I don't have a staff. I have colleagues, but I, I don't have anyone directly doing research for me, making calls for me. Uh, this is all one person. There's a limit to what I can do. But because I have that flexibility, I'm not a member of Congress. I don't have constituents. I don't have to raise money. I don't, I don't have to be a staffer for another member, and you have all that paperwork, all the office work. They're very busy. Committee assignments. But we don't have our forces where the battle lines are drawn. The left could be setting 50, 100 forest fires per week on a number of issues, and they need to be addressed. And maybe maybe we'll have 30 good Freedom Caucus type of members addressing one or two of them. The bottom line is this, and I have a piece that gives the outline of this. I'll link to it in show notes that I put out today, but I, I'm going to discuss in greater detail over the show now. The legislative branch of government is 0.001% the size of the executive branch of government. We have a nice graphic, courtesy of our graphic guy, Mark Gorman, puts together great stuff for us. That picture is worth a thousand words. You look at that and you understand why we have a self-evident problem with a lack of self-governance. Why we no longer have the power residing with the people, as Madison always said, a republic is defined by a system that is either directly or indirectly controlled by the people. Why is it that we have the courts doing the craziest things just this week? I mean, you know, sanctuary cities, abortion, all sorts of stuff they're taking over and Congress does nothing about it, even the conservative members. We see healthcare problems where the government is destroying doctors, private practice in America with all these government programs, market intervention standards, patients, doctors, or other professions, car manufacturing, energy. And, and those who are not involved in a special interest do not have a voice. Well, one reason is because 80% of Congress sucks. But even, even the 20% that are decent, they just don't have the resources, the time, the energy, the acumen to do it. And I'm not trying to talk down to them. I wouldn't have that time either. Even the good members, you have to understand, 
Even one House member represents 800,000, 750,000 people. They're so busy trying to get reelected, even the good ones. They got to raise money. They got to do their committee assignments, with have, which, have, which are garbage usually. They have nothing to do with important issues. But nonetheless, they have to be buried in them. And their staffs are very small. You know, as much as we complain about Congress, you know, living high in the hog, you know, that's more the pay for play and what they, the revolving door, what they do afterwards. But the actual congressional staff, especially on the House side, is really small. I can tell you, it, it's not enough. I mean, the the budget of the entire legislative branch of government is four point six billion. The size of the executive branch is pretty much four point four trillion. And now you might say, well, a lot of that's just the program, Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, fine. But even if you look at the discretionary spending, which is the bureaucracy, that's one point three trillion. So that's point zero zero three percent of the exact I mean the legislative branch is 0.003 percent of that even the Department of Education is 71 billion 15 times larger one department 15 times 15 times larger than the entire Congress so certainly if you just have a handful of offices what are you gonna do and I, I experience this a lot I'll I'll text certain members I'll raise hell about things and you know they, they sympathize with me but they're like yeah what am I gonna do about it they, they just don't have the time. They don't have the platform. Um, then, then there's another thing that members often have a just inferiority complex about this. They're too scared to engage if they don't feel they know enough about it. And I understand that. Um, part of the problem is imagine if you have a certain thing, you know, certain meme, global warming, global warming. I mean, that's more of a common one, but picture something more in the weeds that people are less aware of and they hear it. They know there's something wrong about it but they just haven't studied the issue. They don't have time and they feel too scared to speak out against it because they're scared they're going to get clobbered and they have no air cover. So then they don't engage. You know, I had a member, a conservative member tell me that he had a colleague that, you know, wasn't really helping him so much on, on the recent gunfight because he said the second amendment wasn't his thing. And you might laugh, like, you know, he's a big champion of the First and Fourth Amendment. He, he doesn't feel like he has a grasp of the gun issue. Now, I'm sure he does enough to engage, but he didn't feel he could engage. And that's the problem. Now, it's not that the Democrat rank and file members, the left progressives, are smarter than the conservatives. It's that they don't need to be because they're not trying to buck the system, fight the system, change the system. They are the system. So they work in tandem with it. They have the tailwinds, not the headwinds. They have all the NGOs and think tanks and and media apparatuses up the wazoo to promote their lies. We don't have an apparatus to promote our truths. So let me go a step further where I, I honed in on these ideas of citizens task forces. You know, many of you have noticed I did a seven-part series on the big lie of the opioid crisis, how government is misdiagnosing it and making it worse, um, ignoring what's really causing it and and uh, then addressing what's not causing it and making healthcare worse, making people in pain, taking morphine out of hospitals. And, and, and this is a serious issue that affects all healthcare professionals. And I started exposing the truth, and people would reach out to me. You know, healthcare professionals, doctors, nurses, surgeons, healthcare academics, and like Daniel, I agree with you. Or conversely, I would find a handful of other people writing articles, and I'd you know I'd email them and say, hey, you know, could you help? Um, could you help? Uh, maybe help me put together a congressional hearing for members of a subcommittee to maybe hold a hearing on this 
And would you be willing to testify? And I'm, I'm literally doing this right now. And I started to realize by talking to people, and, and you, you see I've had some of these people on for healthcare discussions, but this applies to many other issues. I think it's very evident with healthcare that there's people that don't work in politics, don't work in government. They work in the private sector, and they have a lot of good things to say. They have a lot of good insights on how government policies are hurting their jobs, hurting the people, hurting the consumer, patients, taxpayers, and they don't have a voice. But they have really good stuff to say, and they know a lot about it. You know, I'm kind of a generalist. I specialize in a couple issues, as you well know, and I cover a lot, a lot of issues here, but I'm by no means an expert in all of them. You can't be. This is just not enough time. And, and like I said, because this is what I do full time, I have a lot more time than most members and my friends who are staff members for them. So I try to help, but I'm just one person. And the thought crossed my mind, well, what if we had thousands of people doing what I do? If you're listening to this show, you're a smart person. You want to dig deeper than the typical drivel you're hearing on, on all sides uh, you know, in the, in the whole cable business. The only difference between me and you is that I am blessed enough to be able to earn a salary, a flat salary by doing what I'm doing, and then just swing for the fences and just speak the truth and not care. You know, I still speak the truth about Fox News and what I don't like about it, even though I was on it. And I'm not going to stop. I just don't care. If I'm not invited back on any other show that's not, that doesn't have Mark Levin on it, I don't, so be it. But there's very few people who are in the position I'm in. I'm finding that. They're more driven by whatever the other side talks about. Oh, Comey and Russia all day? I'll just have my response to Comey and Russia. And meanwhile, nobody is addressing these issues, such as the truth about the opioid crisis, which is hugely important because it implicates the entire border agenda and healthcare agenda. Border and healthcare are civilization issues. We don't have much of a voice on it, but I could go on and on about issues that are not being addressed. There's a lot of stuff I'm seeing now on energy that I don't even have time to get into. I haven't even written about. They're in the back of my mind. I haven't read up enough on, on them to even give over to you. But there's a lot lot of people. It's not that I'm one of the only ones in the country that's saying certain things. It's I'm one of the only ones with a political platform of some sort, maybe with connections to an ever-diminishing number, but at least some number of members of Congress. And the desire to fight for them, no, no bars hold, no bars held on me. I mean, I could, I could do anything, and I, I'll continue to speak the truth with no fear of reprisal. But very few people are doing that. They're distracted by silos, their white whale issues, this and that. I'll go to where I think the fire is. I won't be driven, you know by the latest sensation. But what I'm finding is, outside of politics, outside of Washington, there's a lot of people who are saying what I'm saying, or deep down in their heart, they know what I'm saying. They don't have a platform to say, or often because they work in a certain industry, they're too scared because their livelihood. Whereas I earn my livelihood by speaking out passionately about what I believe in, most people, they earn their livelihood. They have to stifle what they believe in in order to get away with it, whether you're a lawyer, an accountant, an engineer, 
um, certainly a healthcare professional, you often have to be quiet about certain things that you know are wrong. And if it's a type of issue that doesn't have the media, civil, you know, cultural institutions, DC political organizations supporting you, you're not going to have much of a platform to give awareness to that. So that's what I thought of this idea of citizens task forces. While putting together, I'm working to put together some committee hearings and to raise awareness. And I'm writing articles that almost could be put in to put together like a report. And I'm thinking, why can't we have an organization like this? Where basically we have citizens committees. And like I said in my blueprint with the shadow government taxpayer bill of rights it's going to take some sitting members to spearhead this and my advice to roughly members of the freedom caucus liberty caucus people like massey brat jordan meadows um warren davidson i mean i I don't want to leave people out and and obviously ted cruz Rand paul mike lee you know if you're frustrated and you want to take this to the next level and you feel you just don't have enough of a force multiplier to deal with enough issues why don't you deputize the citizenry? And we'll we'll discuss where we get such grassroots in a minute. But basically, the structure would work like this. So you know how you have over a dozen standing congressional committees, and they and they basically do nothing, absolutely nothing. They're pathetic. We actually have our own committees and do something. They could be called the same names or different names, but they'll each have purviews. Over of oversight, which Congress is not doing oversight. So, you know, they say illegals are doing the jobs Americans won't do, you know, that nonsense. So why don't we have the citizenry do the job of oversight that Congress will not do? And we'll have a Judiciary Committee, an Energy and Commerce Committee, a Finance Committee, where you, you have, and maybe you dr- divide it up even smaller, where you have several dozen people on each subcommittee and committees, and we get together and we meet. And we write reports and we expose with and, and not just wonky policy, but what what often we're lacking on the right in America is narrative stories. The other side has sob stories built on lies. We need our sob stories built on truth. All the doctors that, that are having private practice destroyed by government created monopolies, other small businesses and other sectors where their livelihood is being destroyed by government created monopolies and venture socialism. Patients that are being hurt by government policies. Consumers who are being hurt. And often maybe some of these people can't go on the record and speak, but they can meet in these committee hearings and have someone else speak for them. But now you say, well, a bunch of citizens just you know in a room, like, what do you care? Well, this is where the Freedom Caucus comes into play. They hold what I call, and I've already spoken to some members about it, shadow government committee hearings. See, they put them, they put all the conservative members on junkie committees anyway. So forget about it. Take a take a room in in a Cannon or the Rayburn building, or do it outside of Washington. Do it depending on the issue where you think you're going to garner more media attention. Have a Facebook Live, use a uh, social media, call in all your you know each member his uh, own district's um, congressmen, uh, his own district's media, uh, you know reporters, national media, and hold a hearing. And have citizens, you know, let's just pick healthcare or what I'm doing on 
the drug crisis and how government's making it worse, where you have doctors dis, you know, speak to riveting stories that I've heard myself of how government's screwing them. Border agents, whistleblowers, people working in government, patriotic people, how government's screwing them. Military officers, retired military officers, speaking to how broken the military leadership is. And, and putting together reports. Don't, don't count on the Government Accountability Office or the Inspector Generals to put out reports. Let's put out our own reports. No one person has time to do all of this. You have normal jobs. The, that's the thing. The only difference between me and you is that I do this full time, but one man, it's still not enough. You guys have normal jobs. But what if some of you in this audience who have expertise in issues, you would bind together and do a little bit on one issue? And each person would have oversight over that respective agency and program on the executive side and just just totally stalk those government officials. Find out who, who those bureaucrats are, what their policies are, how it's hurting the people, what we could do better, draft the report, draft the solutions, have people like Massey and, and Brad and Meadows and Ted Cruz hold field hearings with these people and just blow it sky high and then do media and just shame these people to death. That's my idea of citizens' task forces and grassroots policymaking and how we form the shadow government. To try to do this on the inside is not going to help. You have to pressure them from the outside. And, and look, t- take a page out of, out of um, these high school punks promoting gun control. Look at what they accomplished. They got a Republican Congress to put in a gun control provision. Now, yeah, I understand that they have the media all on their side, so it makes it easier. But these are a bunch of high school punks that don't know anything and make stuff up. It's not even fact-based. And look at what they accomplished. See, the, the problem I've seen is, until now, most, even the more effective conservative organizations, it's the opposite. It's the groups, it's the inside DCers promoting a certain agenda and then they try to get the grassroots to do the political activity to fuel that agenda. And and Heritage Action for a while was doing this good, although I don't know where they've been now. You know, ever since some of the better people left there, they've been kind of quiet. You know, there's no agenda now. But they used to get the grassroots behind certain issues. But the problem is we don't have a conservative movement and members of Congress promoting these issues because there's just a crisis of intellect, a crisis of energy, a crisis of initiative. And just genuinely speaking, a lack of resources and time, understandably so, to address all the forest fires that are set by the other side on a daily basis. But if we got together thousands of people to do the opposite, they drive the agenda, they drive the policy and have the insiders do the politics rather than, you know, the insiders do the policy because they're not doing a good job of it. And the outsiders, you know, fuel the politics. We need the political prestige of the members of Congress there, you know, to kind of give oomph to this, give some sort of officiality to it, and maybe help with media and attention. But the, but don't count on them to do the legwork. We've got to do the, that le- legwork. I'm willing to work with anyone who wants to take up this idea. And, and look, this is a nascent idea. It just, it's developing in my mind as I'm actually kind of doing this in real life on specific issues. I have cardiologists and specialists also you know, emailing me, hey, I love what you're saying on healthcare. Here's my experience. And, and, and you know me, I'm not a physician. I don't know half this stuff. 
this is the type of health we help we need. Most members of Congress don't understand this stuff. They understand less than me. And I don't understand a lot of this. We need people who understand this to start helping. You know, another another interesting thing I um you know that just shaped my thinking on this is th- th- there's this guy in central Virginia, lives near my my in-laws. My in-laws are from uh Richmond, Virginia. And you know, kind of a business acquaintance of my 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 father-in-law was put in touch with me because he was he was having problems with the EPA basically. And, and this is a, for this is done already. He lost millions of dollars. He had a scrap yard and the EPA lied to them about how they're going to, you know, with waste disposal. And they took away all of the agreements from, from state equivalents. I forgot the, um, I guess the Virginia department of environment is, is what was dealing with it. And then the EPA took it over and screwed him over. And he just has this insolvent uh, scrap yard now he doesn't know what to do with it. He lost millions of dollars. They lied about the science. And this guy, I guess he more often votes Republican, but he is a typical suburban Republican that's turned off by Trump's, not his ideas, but just kind of the instability and just some some of the, just the way he presents himself. I mean, you, you can't deny it. You see it in, 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 um, in polling. And, you know, he, he, he called me up and he wanted me to help him with some members of Congress to raise awareness. He's like, this is a really good issue for any member wants to take this up. There's no downside. There's only upside to bring this up. It's a perfect example of how government is needlessly choking small business owners. And it was just interesting how he he was just talking to me a little bit. And, and li- listen to what he said. He said that, you know, he's he, he, he thinks Trump's nuts. Again, I'm just repeating to you what I hear stepping outside of the bubble, listening to kind of your average suburban vote, you know, suburban, maybe Republican leaning voters, but not solid Republican base. And but but you think, okay, well, he wants a moderate like John Kasich. No, that's not what he said. You know what he told me? He's like that Freedom Party. It's funny. He called it the Freedom Party, not the Freedom Caucus. I was like, yeah, I wish it it were a Freedom Party. They're on to something. So it was interesting. It's not like, oh, Trump is too right wing. It's not like that. It's that they're attracted to something that they see as definitive and smart sounding. It's funny. This guy likes George Will and Brett Stevens, but he likes me. Now, the nuances are lost on him. Like, dude, I'm antithetical to Brett Stevens. You know, what Brett Stevens says is smart, stupid stuff. But nonetheless, it comes across as smart and he's attracted to that. And my stuff is attractive to him, too. You know, even though the people involved in politics would associate with the hard alt right, whatever, you know, but this guy was was very impressed with it. And I was thinking to myself, imagine if we had a movement that a, you know, attracted people like this that were bleeding out of out of the party and the movement now. But also. I was thinking this guy's onto something. He's a businessman who knows all the science behind the, you know, the, the waste disposal and how the government is screwing us with that based on phony environmental science. And it's a great, I, I was like, it, it, it's a microcosm of so many issues that members of Congress are just unaware of. And I was trying to bring it to people's attention. And I was thinking, what if we had a task force? You know, I don't know, 50 task forces, roughly divided into 12 broader committees of broader jurisdiction. 
I don't mean legally. Like, you know, obviously there's no legal impairment to that. But I mean, serious business. We're going to do serious stuff. We are going to do this. We don't officially have the power to take it to its final step and have the force of law with what we want to do. But, you know, being a voice in this era of ubiquitous social media is a, is a game changer. But if you're if we're going to sit back and wait for them to do it on their own, it's not going to happen. But this is where I think the convergence of possibly Jim Jordan running for speaker and using that as a platform for this new platform, for this new contract with America, but then also establishing the citizens task force to help with these people. And then and then look, you know, you could have imagine the candidates you could start cultivating out of this process that have worked on these committees, that work on these issues, or candidates would have to pledge to work with these committees. Screw the congressional committees. I'd I tell leadership, hey, you want to put me on the garbage dump committee? Don't put me on any committee. I don't care. Your committees suck. They don't do anything. Congress is impotent. The courts could, could say that every member of Congress has to cut their you-know-what off, and they'd go ahead and do it because they're pathetic. It's got to come from the outside. So I, I know I was a little bit terse last night. Citizens Task Force is, I kind of name dropped it. What did I mean by that? This is, in long form, more of what I mean. Kind of running out of time here, and I'm becoming hoarse, even with the better microphone. But I want you guys to let me know your thoughts. Email me, dharowitz at crtv.com. And also, by the way, as I said, later on this week, we're going to start with new advertisers, and I'm really going to need you to help support them so we could continue to speak these truths and come up with such ideas. It, 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 I don't have the A to Z. This is a basic idea that I think, I think few, if anyone, has really articulated, at least in this form. Now, in terms of where we get it from, I think, you know, and we got to have our buddy Mark Meckler, the head of the Convention of the States program, on this show. But I actually, you know, the first time I mentioned this idea on a podcast in a rough form, you're, uh, and you're probably listening now, the New Mexico director of Convention of the States emailed me with a very thoughtful idea and actually was very into this. And, and I was thinking to myself, I know of no other organization that has put together such a cl- close knit, smart, savvy, really intelligent and engaged group of grassroots like the Convention of the States. But again, speaking to Mark Levin's point, who and, and Mark's the biggest champion of the Convention of the States, what do we do until then? What do we do aside from that? I think this is how you could have the means of going towards the ends of the Convention of the States also serving as an end to itself. I think that could be a great starting point for where to get such grassroots from and how to organize it. Um, and, and I think I'm going to go subpoena Mark Meckler to come before my show uh, to, to talk about this because I think he'd like this idea. But, uh, you know, I'm, I'm actually going give to give him a call. Maybe, maybe we'll talk about this. How to go ahead and spearhead this idea. You know, I'm, I'm just thinking, you know, as I was, I was trying to get um, this doctor who's also a, a healthcare academic as well to testify on how government is screwing up the drug crisis in America. And I was talking to his, I guess she's a secretary. And she, you know, I, I don't know what she, I don't, I, she's a Republican Democrat. She seemed, you know, more just kind of apolitical or not very involved. 
she said to me, I don't understand. How, how do members of Congress just write these bills limiting supply and, and practicing medicine when they literally don't understand the issue? I'm like, yeah, well, welcome to that. They don't understand the issues, and that's the problem. We live in a world where people are attracted to the strongest show of force. They're going to go to whatever is there by default. Our narrative is not there. It's not going to be there if we don't make it happen. But I think if we make it the strongest force on the block, it will be a force to be reckoned with. That is my idea for citizens' task forces. Grassroots policymaking, not just grassroots political activism, grassroots policymaking, and how to make this shadow government. And that, and I think that will help either force a new party, force a new new crop of people we elect, empower those that are already there, get the next group of people that are kind of on the fence, maybe want to do the right thing but don't know what they're doing, to to come join us. But I can't do this alone. As I deal with my many other issues this week, and I'm gonna have to travel to D.C. to meet with people, and you know, just be be out of my zone a little bit, not produce as much this week as I'd like to. I'm gonna need your help. Gro- growing this idea, putting the, you know, dotting the i's, crossing the t's, how to make this a better plan? Because I really think it's at least it's something that's clicked with me. I'm always thinking of better ideas. You know, my wife makes fun of me all the time. I'm even when I'm home, I'm not home. My brain isn't home because I'm always just pacing the floors and she calls me the mad professor, just always plotting and scheming on how to how to make things better. And and, and you know what what is what is a force multiplying thing we can do to, to to completely change the name of the game. And this is what I've come up with. You know, at least for now. And and not with the exclusion of other ideas, but I think again the convergence of a speaker's race crafting a new contract with America and these new citizens task forces, I think could all come together and even tie into primary challenges as well. Anyway, let me know your feedback, especially if you're a new listener. Welcome again. And thanks so much. Tell your friends about this, whether you agree with me or disagree with me, whether you're even a conservative or not, I guarantee you, you will at least learn something new about both policy and politics here um, we're not going to spew the platitudes. We're not going to do the group think. We have our own talking points. That's why we do what we do here. Otherwise, frankly, I would join everyone else in the private sector and do something else for a living because I don't particularly enjoy this line of work outside of trying to make a difference. And and and, and you know, I, I thank Conservative Review every day for giving me that opportunity, not just to be at Conservative Review, be the senior editor, work with the folks at the TV side on CRTV as well, but also to have that platform to then work with other people on policy issues, raise awareness, raise raise the truth, and raise the banner of self-governance. Make self-governance great again, folks. God bless you all. Thanks for listening. This has been another episode of The Conservative Conscience.